The girls in McKee in a shop called Beauty Culture would tell me I was cute. Mr. McCourt, you have such nice hair, but it is a mess. <laughs> Mr. McCourt, your nails is a mess. Come up to Beauty Culture and we'll do you. Best-selling Irish-American author Frank McCourt. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Happy St. Patrick's Day. As I was going in my mind through all the Irish or Irish-American people I've interviewed over the years, one name kept coming to the forefront. Frank McCourt. In 1996, Frank McCourt burst into the literary scene with his memoir of his childhood called Angela's Ashes, a huge bestseller, which also became an award-winning movie. Frank McCourt followed up Angela's Ashes with his, the second volume of his memoirs called Tis. And then in 2005, with volume three of his life story, a book called Teacher Man, because as an adult, after coming to the United States to live, Frank McCourt became a teacher teaching English at a vocational technical school. So here now, for your St. Patrick's Day enjoyment from 2005, Frank McCourt. This completes the trilogy? That's it. I don't want to talk about myself anymore. I'll do it for the next 15 minutes or so, but <laughs> I think after this I'd like, to, I'd like to spread my wings and write a novel and see what I can get away with <laughs> in a novel because you can't get away with much in a memoir because they're, they're waiting the lawyers are waiting, and ex-wives are waiting, and they want to do me in. <laughs> <laughs> Did you always know from the outset that there were going to be three books? No, I didn't. I thought there would be one book. The, what, my, my, my great ambition in all the years of teaching, especially maybe the second half of my ter- teaching career, was to write a book. Uh, because for me, that is the, the superior, the supreme calling that I aspire to. Other people want to be sculptors and uh, baseball player, but me, I just wanted to write because I've been scribbling since I was eight or nine years old. That was, the, I, I often think of the difference, say, between the Irish Catholics and Italian Catholics. That Italians had materials around them. You look at the sculpture, the architecture, mm-hmm. paintings, and so on, and music and instruments, but we didn't have anything. And I, I don't want to go into the old victim uh, 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 litany, but how we had nothing. But the, the landscape was, the cupboard was bare too. So we, we turned to language. That's what we had, the song, the story, the lamentation. We're very good at lamentation. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was it hard to, though, to sit down one more time and go over? I mean, again, this covers a different part of your life. Bill, but, but it was is, a horror. But yeah, this is the third time you've, you've sat down with the keyboard to do it. It was awful. And I don't sit down at a keyboard. I sit down with a miserable uh, notebook and a pen in my hand. <laughs> Other people use keyboards. Maybe it would have been easier, but I... I uh, I sat with more. I, I'm a very early riser. I'm a five o'clock in the morning, man. Mm-hmm. I make my coffee, and I, I go to this little cabin that I have up in in Connecticut and sit there, and the birds are waking up and so on, and and, and coyotes are howling in the distance, and I see deer come. And I pay attention to everything, but uh, but the book. And it took four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Angela's Ashes. When I I think with great nostalgia of the writing of Angela's Ashes, it took thirteen months. But it was building up. It was fermenting for years. But the actual writing took 13 months. So I, I, uh, I, it's strange. As I moved on from book one to book two to book three, it got harder. Because uh, I was dealing in Angela's Ashes. I, 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 I told it from the perspective of a child. And I felt comfortable with that. Then in tears, I'm, I'm a young man in America. And that was a little more difficult. But 
teach a man. I didn't know. I didn't know what the point of view should be, what the tone should be. So that's what I had to work out, and I hope I did. People tell me I did. I really didn't like the book when I handed it in, but I got. I you know I look at other people for for approval and approbation. My editor liked it. My publisher liked it, and my agent liked it. And the more they liked it, I began to say, "Oh well, maybe this is so bad. Come home, honey." <laughs> <laughs> I saw there was a review on Amazon from one of your former students mm. who said it gave you five stars, and he said this is this book exactly. He says represents what he remembers from your class. Well, I've, I've met. A lot of former students in the last uh, in the last few weeks. For instance, out in Los Angeles the other night, I, I was doing a reading in, in one of the bookshops. This tall, bald-headed man with grey grey fringe uh, told me this was astonishing. He was in my first class. His name was David Wagner. My first class at McKee Vocational Technical High School. <laughs> Can you imagine this? And he said, I remember you, he said, because, because of, uh, you're the only teacher who thought that what we did was funny. I said, what was that? Well, you know, he said, we, look, Miss Locasio was one of the teachers they didn't like. So, uh, this, and this is a vocational high school. Uh, he said, we, you, what, you were the only teacher who laughed when we told you what we did. And I said, what was that? He said, we hoisted her Volkswagen into a tree. And I said, my God. I said, maybe I wasn't laughing at that, David. I was just admiring your sense of your mastery of physics. How the hell did you do it? He said, it's a long story. I'll email you. Can you imagine this in a, vo in a vocational high school? It just shows you the talent that's out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is, is it a wonder that you made it past your first day? Oh, God, my first day. Oh, that was... Uh, you know, you don't know, but nobody knows what it's like to face a bunch of teenagers at at, at twenty minutes past eight in the morning. Thirty five of them in a vocational high school where they want to be in their shops. They want to be in auto mechanics and so on, machine shop, uh, carpentry. They don't want to be listening to an English teacher babbling about synonyms and antonyms and homonyms. They want to be elsewhere. So I didn't know what to do. Nobody told me how to handle them. So I was thrown into the classroom, and. Uh, the uh, the uh, they came in and they swarmed into the classroom, and they were fooling around, and and then uh, one kid threw a sandwich at another kid, and I after four years of higher education at New York University, the first word out of my mouth as a teacher was "Hey," <laughs> that's four years of education, <laughs> and the next I, the first statement I made was "Stop throwing sandwiches." Well, Petey had thrown the sandwich at, and, at Andy, and there was the sandwich lying on the floor. And it was right in front of my desk. And I looked at the sandwich, and boy, it was a good-looking sandwich. Dark brown bread with bologna, but more than a sliced tomatoes and onions and relish and drizzled with this. I'm sure it was an extra virgin olive oil. And I, was, I didn't know what to do. Should I said to Petey, you better get up here and pick up the sandwich. But I didn't want confrontation. My first day, my first minute in the classroom. Oh, should I lecture them on the way on how people waste food when there are a million starving? You know the usual. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I picked it up and I ate the sandwich. <laughs> that got their attention. <laughs> Man, look at him, new teacher up there eating the sandwich. You're not supposed to do that. And the principal is passing by and he sees me standing in front of the room eating a sandwich and he tell he beckons to me to report to him later on in his in his office, and I got hell over that. <laughs> he threatened to put a letter in my file. You know, that's the worst thing. 
uh, because of uh, yeah, eating lunch, eating lunches. I said, well, no, that was it. I said it was a sandwich. It wasn't lunch or breakfast or anything else. But he didn't know it was Petey's sandwich. He didn't know, no. But but they were the kid. The funny thing about about uh, teaching in the high school or any, uh, or any other places, they might give you a hard time in the classroom. But if a principal comes in or somebody from the outside world, they're with you. They're with the teacher. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all in this together. It's like it's like you're <laughs> part of the family. And, uh, and I, had to be, I had to learn s- certain little lessons. If you have trouble with the kid, don't call his parents. Don't call his family. That's going outside of the, 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 the bond of, uh, the, the, of brotherhood and, or, that we had. I once did it. I once called a mother. And she told the father, he came in to the classroom, this huge longshoreman, <laughs> and he hauls the kid, or Augie, out of there and bangs him up against the wall. Well, I had to, I had to repair fences after that. And I had to get back into the, I had to get their confidence back. And I would never, 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 never complain to the parents about a kid. Handle it yourself. Or tell the principal, let them handle it. They're paid three times as much as you. <laughs> And the other teachers told you never reveal anything about yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, uh, as as one of my colleagues said, well, they never have anything to reveal anyway. These other people, <laughs> but I had plenty to reveal, and I did it because the kids used to uh, say to me, uh, "Well, first of all, this kid Joy Santos said, yo, teach you Scotch or something.'" And I explained to him that I was Irish, and I knew what he was up to. He was trying to keep me away from any lesson mm-hmm. I might have been contemplating. Didn't you used to do the same thing? Oh, yeah, when I was a kid in Ireland. <laughs> I used to uh, distract the teacher with, uh, with, with various questions to keep him away from the subject matter. So I knew what was going on. I didn't know very much, but in that I knew what was going on there. It's very subtle because the kids, what, what, we, what we forget is they are experts, Mm-hmm. about education, about teachers. And they know how to handle teachers. They especially <laughs> know how to handle new teachers. Mm-hmm. They know that new teachers are going to be fen- defensive and maybe ignorant of the... Of so mm-hmm. then you, and they handled me. But I was, it took me a long time to begin to develop the strategies to handle them right back. I don't, you know, you were saying a moment ago that the kids didn't want to be there to hear about grammar and sentence structure. I don't get the impression you were real interested in necessarily teaching grammar and sentence structure and periods and commas and things. I wanted to get to that strange thing called life because I thought this is what literature was supposed to be about. There's Shakespeare writing about life and Chaucer and, and Faulkner and Hemingway and so on. And I didn't want literature to be a subject for study and then a test. The exam, the quiz. I, I didn't want to, to reduce to that because I remember a Spanish philosopher, uh, Unamuno, saying, before, uh, before you can dissect something, you have to kill it. And I didn't want to dissect literature. So I, I, I wanted literature to be alive in the classroom, poetry, because they resisted poetry, they resisted grammar, and I had to find ways of, of getting, breaking down that resistance. And that was the big challenge. And I think, uh, to a certain ex- extent, I succeeded. So I, gi- I give myself credit from time to time for mm. little things that I accomplished. Do you think you give yourself enough credit? No, I don't, because you, uh, I, I, I look back on my teaching career, and sometimes I groan. I want to go back into the classroom. What I meant was, <laughs> boys and girls, what I really meant was, and since I resigned from teaching and retired from teaching, I've discovered certain things. I want another chance. Give me another year in the classroom. <laughs> Bring all my former students back into the classroom. I have a few things to tell them. 
<laughs> after after writing three books and re reflecting on my 30 years of education, of teaching. Well, you know, it's become a cliche that uh, while they taught me as much as I taught them. Mm. But, you know, it, it, well, it strikes me from reading your book, yeah. you really did learn a lot. Maybe not from your students, but you learned a lot with the help of your students. Yeah, what well, you must uh, realize that I came from Ireland carrying strange baggage, the, uh, the poverty, my father's alcoholism, and so on, and no sense of self-esteem whatsoever. But kind of a, th a thing lurking in the back of my head that I, I was worthwhile in some way or other. That I, that maybe I thought, maybe I thought in my dumb way that I was somewhat intelligent. That I'd read a lot of books. That I understand things. That I understood things that people didn't give me credit for. When I got off the boat, so to speak. I was given a, one of those low jobs, just, you know, drudgery in a hotel. And I thought at one part of me uh, uh, realized my worth. The other part of me, the external part of me, uh, was, was very self-effacing. And I didn't give myself any credit. But, and then you have to, if you're like that, some people are full of self-confidence and so on. Mm -hmm. And they give themselves credit, which is all right. But I had to learn to give myself credit. If I had a success in the classroom, I'd say immediately, yeah, yeah, but you failed in mm -hmm. another class. I was always doing this, and that's, that, that's part of my uh, profound Catholic <laughs> teaching, <laughs> uh, humility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> why do you suppose that you didn't, as they say, burn out the way some teachers do? I think I was – I might have, no, I didn't burn out. I, I read a, a, a thing in the newspaper a few years ago where uh, teacher burnout is compared with combat fatigue mm -hmm. among, among soldiers, among the military. And I think uh, it was, I kept it fresh. I used to tell the kids, you're going to graduate in June. You'll be gone. And you go off, and, but I'll be here year in and year out. Yeah. And I have, to, I have to enjoy myself in the classroom. And if you don't help me to enjoy myself in this classroom, I'm going to fail you. You are the ones who have to entertain me. I know I, did, I, I do a bit of entertaining you, but you have to entertain me for a change. And they thought that was very funny, but they knew I was serious, that we had to keep things alive in the classroom, that literature, couldn't, that literature, could, sh literature shouldn't become a corpse that we were going to dissect. Well, your assignments were a bit uh, unorthodox? I'd say so, and, and, and they, they arose out of a kind of desperation. Now, what, what do you do next? So I, had, I, I discovered two things that kids are interested in, teenage, sex and food. <laughs> you have to be careful with sex. You have to, mm -hmm. you know, dance around it, otherwise you're in trouble. Uh, uh, but food, I got onto them through food. I used to have, I used to read on Friday in the New York Times a food, a restaurant review by Mimi Sheraton. Oh yes, she was their major food writer at the time. And I'd come in, I'd read these reviews to the kids. They were fascinating. They never, they never saw food reviewed like that or restaurants reviewed. And I would have them write restaurant reviews. I also had them write. Uh, then, what? One time, uh, as I, I wrote about in, in the book, uh, I had them. Uh, they wrote. They would always bring in excuse notes. They were always bringing ex written by them, forged on behalf of their parents. <laughs> so I had them say, oh, "Okay, th you're very good at writing." They were brilliant excuse notes. <laughs> I had them write excuse notes for Adam and Eve, uh, excuses to God, 
And then I had, uh, and then, then I, then I had them write. I didn't write about this in Teacher Man, but I had them write obituaries, their own obituaries. They all died peacefully in bed, <laughs> surrounded by the boys were always surrounded by whatever movie star they admired and what mm-hmm. movie star, and or I have them write one of their friends in class or, or or some kid they didn't like, and they wrote accordingly. Then I hit pay there when I had them write down obituaries for teachers. <laughs> Not a single teacher died peacefully in bed. They all had horrible deaths. They were mutilated, mangled, trampled on by runaway horses, falling off cliffs and so on, burned slowly, etc., etc. They really went to town. And, I, gee, I know, and a lot of people were complaining about this one, uh, about uh, the obituaries of teachers, but I said, yeah, but they're writing. They want, it was not like asking them to write about their summer vacation, which they were sick of. <laughs> I think uh, uh, w- when I look back in, on the whole career, you come to certain conclusions and generalizations about what, uh, what, what's, uh, I'm, 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 I have to give myself credit for surviving. First of all, McKee Vocation Technical High School, mm-hmm. eight years of it. And then, and, and then the, and, and the rest, then the other 22 years in, ver- in various schools. And I think I did it because they gave me a break because of my accent. They found me a bit exotic. They wanted they just start asking me where I grew up and how I grew up and the rest of it. And and the girls in McKee in in in, in a shop called Beauty Culture <laughs> uh, would tell me I was cute. Mr. McCourt, you have such nice hair, but it is a mess. <laughs> Mr. McCourt, your nails is a mess. Come up to beauty culture and we'll do you. <laughs> but I, I, think, uh, I think they, 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 they met me more than halfway and they gave me a break and let me survive for the eight years. By then, I think I had developed some style or, or uh, strategies as a teacher. I was able to move on to other schools. Frank McCourt died in 2009. He was 78. And you can find easy Amazon links to Frank McCourt's books at our website, heardeverything.com. Is this the first time you've heard an episode of Now I've Heard Everything? Well, I'm glad you found us. Thanks for listening. We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. In fact, if you use a platform that doesn't have Now I've Heard Everything on it, let me know. My address is bill at heardeverything.com. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, a personal memoir of the golden age of television news, the period from 1960 through 1980 by a man who had a front row seat, my 2008 interview with former reporter, anchorman Roger Mudd. So I finally said, why do you want to be president? And uh, when you see the film, there's about six or seven seconds when nothing is happening. Didn't help him, I must say. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. 